Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Lois Reitzes, and this is City Lights. Thank you for listening as together we continue to navigate the new normal. We're taking you to the Fringe. The Atlanta Fringe Festival has a large roster of content from all over the country as part of Fringe Audio which we'll hear about today. John Waters is known as the Pope of Trash for his outrageous movies such as Pink Flamingos and Polyester. His film Hairspray showed Waters' sweeter side, a quality that came across when he was in Atlanta a few years ago. We'll listen back to that conversation later in the hour. First, life during lockdown has spawned additions to our language at a rapid rate as we look for new words to capture ongoing virtual activity. My favorite so far is Zoomsicle which is not a frozen dessert, but promises to be a treat. We're going to hear more about a Zoomsicle now from actor-singer Minka Wiltz and director-composer Haddon Keim. Thank you for joining us. Wonderful to be here. Great to be here. Via Zoom, of course. Via Zoom, of course, yes. (laughs) Now, Haddon. Would you please tell us what inspired you to create a Zoom musical? A Zoom musical. Well, at the end of March, uh, as you know, there has been a big disruption, natural disruption to our uh, industry, our theater industry. And Out of Hand Theater called Ariel Fristo at, at, our, at Out of Hand called and, and asked if there was any way that we could possibly write a, a new comedy that could be producible with the new social distancing rules in place. And she gave me this challenge uh, to write a musical comedy, and it had to be a comedy, and it had to be producible with these new uh, social distancing rules in place. And um, it was a wonderful challenge to get. Right when everything else stopped, I was right in the middle of, uh, I was about to open a show at the Alliance and that got pulled, the season got pulled about a week before we were gonna go into tech. So I started down this path 
of creating this idea that here is a, a meditation and self-care workshop or class that has had to make the move to Zoom, which is kind of our new theater in a way. Kind of, uh, the Zoom, Zoom is a theater in itself, a proscenium, a digital proscenium, but it certainly is the way that a lot of uh, stories are being told these days. And they try to go about their job of meditating and performing self-care uh, rituals, uh, breathing rituals to calm themselves down. But uh, it all goes off the rails pretty quickly because of you know, our new normal. And of course, I thought of uh, Minka immediately as someone I would love to write for. I'm a huge fan. Uh, her show last year at uh, Out of Hand, uh, Shaking the Wind was one of my favorites. So luckily she was available and we got to do this, this project, which has been just incredibly fun. Oh, now Minka, you wear several hats as a creative. How have you prepared to perform on this platform? <laughs> um, I <laughs> was, was that a vocal exercise? <laughs> <laughs> sure, Lois. That's exactly what it was. It was daunting at first when I heard it. I was excited. It was one of those things that I had to do it because it kind of raised the hair on the back of my neck because I was I had no concept of how to create. It is such an odd idea to create with someone remotely. And so I accepted the challenge and, and was so grateful to be thought of, uh, to be a part of it. And I prepared by recognizing that I didn't know what I was doing. But I did know as an artist exactly what my craft was. So no matter what the medium, I was ready to dive in and give it my best. Now, what is the premise of Lag, a Zoomsicle, Hatton? Sure. Early on in the, in the COVID-19 uh, situation, a uh, class on self-care and meditation has made the move online. And they have moved their practices that they're usually in the same room together online. So their breathing practices, their meditation practices. And we are joining them in the final class of their, uh, of their meet and are joining them right as many things are changing for them in their lives and in their environments that are causing more chaos than usual. The hijinks ensue. I mean, you'll, you'll see. Uh, lag, uh, by the way, is a metaphor for not just the technical glitches that sometimes happen with this video conferencing software, but also because our lives are lagging a little bit. Our bank accounts are lagging, our plans are lagging, our vacations are lagging, my child's education is, is lagging a little bit. So there's a lag going on. Instead of a musical, it, it's on Zoom, so we just called it a Zoomsical. And maybe there'll be more than, than one. Maybe there, there are many people that would like to create Zoomsicals now. I don't know. I hope so. And I think you should copyright the term, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Would you describe rehearsal with everyone sheltering in place? I guess this could be for either of you to answer. Sure, I'll start. So, you know, they're, they're amazing professionals. What I did was um, I created a, a version of the show on audio where I sang all the parts 
Then I gave, uh, I was able to email it to everybody. I emailed them a version where I sang just their part. And then I emailed them a version where I sang everybody else's but their part. And then I also created sheet music for them to read along. So when I gave it to them, it was very quick turnaround where they were able to know their part. And we got together all together first on a Zoom call and talked about the show, what we were doing for our own self-care during this time you know, did a kind of a quick rehearsal, but the problem technically very quickly is with a musical on Zoom, there's no way right now for all of uh, the actors to hit go at the same time and have it sync up. There's this latency or this lag actually that happens. And so what we decided to do uh, were two things. We wanted to keep it as much in the theater domain as possible, even though we were being kind of forced onto film. Not that that's a horrible thing, but the language is different. Film is a director's medium and theater is an actor's medium. So what we decided to do was, uh, even though uh, it's, it looks like it's all being performed in one take, um, they're actually, they actually recorded all of their takes separately. Um, and I directed each of the takes separately and told them, well, okay, so here's what, uh, say, Rin is doing on this section of the score. These are the choices she made as an actor. And Minka would bring that into her performance and react back just from my description of telling her what Rin had decided to do. And then we, had, we have a cut, that is that first take. To keep it an actor's medium, we decided to show it to the actors and then go back and do a second take so that the actors could decide if they wanted to evolve their performance in any way after seeing for themselves what the other actors had done. And that is what you're seeing on Saturday when we premiere it. You'll see that second take that our actors did. It was making it up as we go along, but with respect for the craft, our actors, singers, and being able to uh, give them the agency to make as many choices as possible. And also, I'm a first-time director, so I'm very happy to let them do that. Oh, well, congratulations. How many actors are in the show? There are four. We have a soprano, an alto, a tenor, and a bass. Uh, well, gosh, and there's a lot of mixing between those. The ranges on our singers, our performers, is amazing. When you were talking about directing each actor and then bringing them together, do I take it then that there is no ensemble singing? Each performer sings his or her own song? Yes, each performer sings uh, their own part. There is very much some ensemble singing. We have harmonies. We even have a fugue. There's a part in the show where everybody is itching to just let it all out. And so how do you do that when you have, in this case, three people wanting to sing all of their frustrations at, at the same time? The only way I could figure that out was to go back to like a 17th century fugue where each you know, the counterpoint musically is independent, but they're all singing their frustrations about COVID at the same time. <laughs> um, and that, that was very fun to shoot. Uh, the, uh, you know, we just shot uh, independently each, each line at the time and then put it together offline in, in editing software and it, and it syncs up beautifully. Would anyone like to share? Don't chime in at once, unless... It's what you I need. I'm losing all track of my time, and I can't sleep in it's all the crazy dreams. I've been in this Netflix. I don't miss my kids. 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 I don't miss my kids
Wow, Bach would be proud of you, Haddon. Oh, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, but, the yeah, opera singer him. is laughing there. <laughs> it was great. I was amazed. I was just listening and remembering how that portion of the piece kind of blew my mind when I was first introduced to it. For me, it was helpful to hear the music being primarily, first and foremost, an opera singer or a singer. I'm used to hearing things first before I visualize them sometimes, especially in musicals. And so sometimes that's easier for me to plug in. But I, had I have spoken parts during the fugue and I have reactions. So I got a chance to be the audience. I had to pretend like I was annoyed, but I was really enjoying it the whole time because it was so well done. And hearing it come together, it really made a believer in me, the power of music being able to coalesce no matter where we are, you know, in our society. It was really exciting. Amen. Amen there. So the Zoomsicle will not be live. The Zoomsicle will not be live. We, uh, we would have loved to have done it live. And we're hoping the technology can catch up uh, with this latency problem of in theater, you play sound cues, everybody hears at the same time. But uh, we can't do that right now with music uh, on Zoom, at least as far as I know. And I've talked to some amazing technicians on Broadway that are trying to figure that out right now. They figured it out for plays. But for music, be it, say, the Hamilton folks performing on uh, Some Good News, John Krasinski's show, they uh, all performed that with the... Uh, the music in their ear individually, and then it was edited together and made to look like it was live. But, and so we can do that. We can certainly do that. Um, the problem is this latency or this lag in, if one person were to hit the backing track uh, just a half a second out of sync with somebody else, then the fugue would sound horrible. <laughs> well, but you know, look at how, uh, yeah, I'm shaking my head with frustration as you're speaking, I'm thinking, Oh, come on, do we, re do we have to wait for that half-second lag? And then the little angel above my head is saying, Lois, look what we are able to experience here and, and how quickly we forget the marvel of this technology that, that we can even enjoy entertainment that we can even experience communication this way. And I don't know, I guess we're just spoiled and impatient. That's so true, uh, Lois. Like I said before, we're being disrupted as, a, as an industry right now. We've lost our audience. And I mean, as a theater person, like I, I love a live audience. I love crowds. I love getting together. And this is hard. At the same time, we also have this opportunity. So maybe it's the devil and angel metaphor again. We have this opportunity because now we have a new theater and it's only going to exist for a limited time. I truly believe Broadway will be king again, you know, that, that crowds will return and that people miss getting together right now in big ways and are, are itching to do so. And theater is, is a wonderful place to do that and experience things together. But for this limited time, we kind of have a, a decentralization going on where uh, the big cities of say New York and Chicago or London or you know would have ultra large theater scenes 
are interested in, just as anybody here in the theater scene in Atlanta or in Minneapolis or in, in Seattle or San Diego that, well, what are we going to do? Let's all, let's all find a way to do this. And we're going to have to do it together online with using these new, this new theater of Zoom. So there, you know, with every challenge, there's this great opportunity and I think it's going to last for a limited time. So here's our, Here's here's the thing we're we're gonna throw into the ring as as a possibility is our uh, our zoomsicle here from uh, Out of Hand Theater with the great Minka Wiltz. Ah yes, she is great, and I I love your attitude, and it's so optimistic. Being a glass half empty sort, I have been so sad with everything I've read lately about how long. It seems it will take before we can gather in live theater settings, in live concert hall settings together again. But you are absolutely correct, not only in saying that this provides a great platform, but look at how smaller organizations such as Out of Hand are experiencing the same challenges as the Alliance or Broadway Theater or the Metropolitan Opera House. I mean, everyone has to consider people can't sit that close to one another. You can't have the bottlenecks of people getting in in line to enter the theater. So, so the Zoom... This is a good thing for now, but Minka, Haddon, can you earn a living with this? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you answer that, Minka. Well, could we earn a living before this? <laughs> um, good answer, yes. And that is something that, something that I'm grateful for is having a partner in my life, a life partner who is able to help sustain me. But a lot of people don't have that. And I'm also grateful for the communities that have mushroomed up to show support for artists all over the country, but specifically in Atlanta, seeing how people are rallying around one another. I am finding that as an artist, I'm not earning more resources in in, in terms of monetary acquisition, uh, but I am gaining in the resources of understanding the value of my creativity and the value of other creatives around me. One thing that I do think about every day is what can I do to ensure that I'm creating content that will be able to be monetized eventually? And that keeps me strong in my heart and my mind. Hadn't you created something marvelous at Dad's in the form of Wicket? I can imagine how devastated you must have felt about the Alliance project not going through. Are there plans for when we return to normal for that show? With 53% of? Um, yeah. I, certain, I certainly hope so. Uh, Rin Saver, who is also in this project, and I were both on that project, and she's incredibly talented, as is everybody that was working on that show. And I certainly hope so. But I haven't heard word on that yet. I also should mention our other three cast members. Well, we have Minka and we have Rin. Uh, we have Trevor Rache Perry in this show, who is an incredible performer. Googie Uderhart, who was in Wicked. He was uh, em- Emperor Palpatine. 
And we have, uh, and introducing Doug Shipman playing the Doug. So <laughs> Doug, Doug, Doug Shipman is, uh, is the CEO of the Woodruff Arts Center. And he is a fabulous, very, very funny person. And we, have, we had a role. And so he was nice enough to step in and fill it. Any other future performances in the works? We have high hopes. You know, I, I have projects. Um, we'll see if, like I said, this was written with theater language. So there are stage directions, not film cuts in the script. So hopefully someday we can get a live version of this when, when the audiences return. I think it's very stageable and it's producible now and it'll hopefully be producible later. You know, the skills we have in doing the Zoomsicle now are going to be extra skills that we have when the audiences return. You know, I look forward to that day director and composer Haddon Kime with singer and actress Minka Wiltz out of Hand Theater's new show Lag, a Zoomsicle will be shown this Saturday, May 30th at 8pm the event is free The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. On the fringe means at the outer edge of something. Fringe festivals offer experiences not always available in mainstream arts and culture, yet fringe events are creative and can influence more established artists. Atlanta has a Fringe Festival, and now we are Zooming with Fringe Audio's director, Jessica Bodiford, and Mimi Rice of the Radio Theater Project. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Now, for those unfamiliar with the Atlanta Fringe Festival, would you talk about its mission? Well, the Atlanta Fringe Festival started... uh, eight years ago, and our mission is to bring quirky, amazing theater to Atlanta from all around the country, and it's been a blast. For this year's participants, were there specific guidelines they needed to follow given that we are living in a new reality or an alternate reality? So the Atlanta Fringe Festival has two different components. We have the live shows, and we also have the audio shows, which we call Fringe Audio. This year, unfortunately, we had to cancel the live shows, uh, considering everything that's happening. However, Fringe Audio is still alive and well. And um, like this also has been going on for eight years. And 
we were able to have a lot of the French audio artists participate and also some of the live artists for Atlanta French Festival participate. They adapted their shows for French audio so that their shows could be listened to online. So it's quite wonderful that you were ahead of the game with Fringe Audio. Yeah, you know, when we first started Fringe Audio, it, our executive di- uh, director, Diana Brown, she she told me, she said, hey, I, I want to do something that incorporates radio, old-time radio. And at that same time, I was getting interested in podcasting because it offered uh, a cost-effective way to um, produce my shows. My first love is live theater, but you know, live theater is expensive. And um, I was able to, through podcasting, share my shows with my friends who live all over the world. Just learning about the podcasting and radio community to see how robust it is, that uh, the Fringe Audio Network just made sense. Mm -hmm. Now, did any participants have to adapt their original ideas to the podcast platform? Well, yes. We offered the opportunity for our live shows to do some podcasting. And so, yes, there are various different podcasts now of um, adapted live shows. And even some of the uh, seasoned artists had to adapt their shows. We have one great show called Humanity's Child that they were scheduled to um, record a show of 14 people in a recording studio. But then when all the you know rules came out about how people can meet together and then you can't meet together, they had to come up with creative ways to get people to participate in their show. And they ended up getting uh, 91 people interested to participate, new actors, Broadway actors, people from nine different countries, and they've been able to do their um, five-episode podcast despite the restrictions. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's interesting how much the virtual world has enabled theater artists to expand their ties. I mean, I'm not trying to look for the silver lining in pandemic, but we've been hearing more and more about the generosity of colleagues all over to help others perform and create in this new reality. I would like to say something about the Radio Theater Project. We have uh, 11 seasons we've been doing live radio theater and recording, and we have all of our, most of our plays on SoundCloud. So though we are no, we are not because of the COVID situation, we're not performing live, we were able to submit to Audio Fringe Festival two from our last season, two plays from our last season for this year. And our radio theater project does monthly live radio theater performances. And we have found that our audiences love storytelling. We find our audience sitting there with their eyes closed where they would love to be watching our Foley artist. They are just listening. And I find it for myself 
I listen much more now than I may have in the past, but partly because of the storytelling and the possible release of my imagination when I hear a story. Yeah, it is such an immediate human connection. Mimi, what are some of the different audio shows listeners can hear? Well, we have our season, we started in 2009, and we mostly did new plays. We did go into some old plays from, we did Arsenic and Old Lace that was a Lux radio theater show. We did It's a Wonderful Life that was adapted for radio. We did some old times, but most of our plays are all original scripts. And we called out to uh, Florida writers we got a grant from the Humanities Council that supported uh, doing local statewide uh, radio plays. And we have stretched out now to some of our members, our writers are members of the Dramatist Guild. And we put out a call through the Dramatist Guild and we are getting the most wonderful scripts. People are writing for radio now. And there we have developed from the BBC description of how to adapt a live play to a radio play, which essentially means anything that is a visual requirement has to be verbal. You know, um, the Radio Theater Project is a great example of what Fringe Audio has to offer and what podcasting, radio, old time radio and storytelling has to offer. Their plays really do capture the Foley artists and everything that makes audio storytelling great. And Foley artists are the sound designers. They use like live sound effects when um, you're doing a live show and also when you're doing other types of shows. So the reason why we just wanted Mimi to participate in this conversation is because Radio Theater Project has been participating in French audio since 2016, and they always give us great shows. They're so dependable with their great shows. And um, we have even artists from Atlanta, like the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. They have also been great partners with French audio, and they regularly give shows also for French audio. So it's really exciting. And um, the shows that Mimi and Radio Theater Project have given us this year are um, Miss Petey and Grace, and um, the second show is Rose and Leah. They're both really great shows. What are they about? Well, Miss Petty and and Grace is, is the, the, these are also very funny, but Miss Petty and Grace is a story about an older woman who's a, a, in a nursing home and being cared for by Miss Petty. And Miss Petty is sort of a um, nurse ratchet, should we say? She's <laughs> Yeah, she's difficult. <laughs> Not someone I'd want as my no, caregiver. But, but she's but Grace is not your normal patient. And she's she leads her on into a merry chase. So it ends up just the way it should and it's very funny and very funny 
Now, I know most people send their patients off to professionals if physical therapy is called for, but with Miss Petty, you get that service thrown into the bargain, and I'm very good at it. These hands, these big, sturdy hands, I'm proud to say. Wouldn't you say they're big, sturdy hands? Uh, yes. I suppose they are. Though I must confess, using them so vigorously takes more and more out of me every year. Yes. Being a caregiver is hard work. Robs you of your own life, really. But I have no regrets. Imagine the satisfaction of working with people who depend on you. It's like a marriage, really. But even better, because it's made very clear right from the get-go who has the upper hand. Rosa and Leo, it's another, it's a very touching story of two Auschwitz survivors who had a romance as teenagers at Auschwitz. And this is something like 60 years later, Leo calls Rosa, his first love and her first love, and she hangs up on him and she hangs up on him and she hangs up on him and he keeps calling. And they finally do connect. He is dying so they won't be able to dance together. So they dance together over the phone and they sing a Jewish song. It's a very beautiful piece. Tumala, 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 laika. Tumala, 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 laika. Tumala, laika, strumala, laika. Tumala, laika, happy will be. Dance with me, Leo. Girl, girl, I want to ask of you what can grow, grow without rain? What can burn and never end? What can yearn, cry without tears? It sounds very moving. Yeah. Jessica, are any of these artists, the playwrights, the actors, the sound designers, are any of them being paid? Well, that's a serious issue. We are, we finally were able to, we're being, we're paying our actors $50. We, we have no income except our tickets and our, we, we have, we're affiliated with a studio at 620 in St. Petersburg, a wonderful art studio with art, theater, dance, music, poetry, the whole thing. And they're our home and they support us. And we play our playwrights minimally as well, but we try to do something, but we do send them copies of the recording and they use that as they have, they are thrilled to have these recordings of their plays that they use with their agents. As with most arts, it's not an income producing situation. Sadly, but our actors are all professional actors. These are not volunteers or anything like that. These are a put together a, a company of uh, professional actors and playwrights are wonderfully wonderful some of them are very well known and some of them are not most of them are new time very grateful to have a recording of their play <laughs> 
Well, I know many people are grateful for these artists sharing their beauty, their talent. And it would be wonderful if this all could lead to some income as well. Jessica, how do you work with participants to deepen their understanding of audio storytelling, those participants who may be new to the platform? I am in constant communication with the artists, and some of them email me directly, and then I give them some guidance. Uh, we also had um, a sort of a, a short, very short infographic about what it takes to um, make um, an audio story. But this year, we're going to be releasing a guide to um, help to give a more in-depth look about how to create um, audio stories. So because we have some people, you know, who are transitioning from live theater and adapting their plays to audio, and we have people who are newbies. And then we have so many resources among, um, among us with some of our um, seasoned, uh, our seasoned audio artists like Radio Theater Project and um, Atlanta Radio Theater Company and, you know, Small Fish Radio and Four Eyed Jacks. So we know that we, we have a lot of resources among ourselves to create a great guide that's going to be impactful for not just Atlanta Fringe Festival, but for the Fringe Festival um, worldwide circuit. Mm. Jessica, I believe I read you are in New York now. Is that correct? <sighs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. Um, you know, I was living in Haiti for the past six years, and um, my contract in Haiti is over. I, I was doing some communication work for USAID, and I decided to come back um, in February, right before everything was starting to pick up speed. Um, my sister is a nurse, and uh, she originally lived in Texas. She was in Texas, but she was called to um, support nurses here in New York. And she has a six-year-old, my nephew, and she asked me if I could come and babysit my nephew while she's at work. And um, yeah, it's it's been an, an interesting transition, to say the least, <laughs> because I was, <laughs> I was living by myself, and now it's like I'm living with my sister, who's, you know, going through this whole nursing process and, you know, and then my nephew, who's a six-year-old rambunctious little boy. But, you know, what's cool <laughs> is that we're going to be making a podcast. We're actually in the process of making a podcast, uh, an audio story for children that's going to be released on Fringe Audio in June. So that that's fun. It's been really fun working with him on that. Oh, that's wonderful. I can only imagine looking back what you will be thinking, having returned to New York in February of 2020, what I looked at from Haiti, what you produced, that was wonderful. Thank you. Um, that was the last that was the last production that I produced in Haiti. And what's what's very interesting is um America currently is, you know, in an interesting time with the shelter in place. But back in 2018, when I made that podcast, Haiti was also going through um, a lockdown for very different reasons, political and economic reasons. So it was just as challenging to get the artists together as um, it's as you know as it is now in the United States getting artists together. But um, 
I had so much fun doing it. And you know, you asked earlier um, if you asked Mimi if the artists get paid. So for French audio, the artists do not get paid. Um, with the Atlanta French Festival, when we do live when we do live performances, the artists do get um, a portion of ticket sales. But because French audio is free. We don't have any, we don't sell any tickets, so the artists don't don't receive any compensation as financial compensation. However, we do have the Critics' Choice Award and um, we recognize excellence in podcasting. And so the fringe audio artist who wins this year's Critics' Choice Award will also be given $100 and a year's worth of bragging rights. So <laughs> we're really happy about that. <laughs> oh, I think. That is wonderful recognition. Oh, I wish you both well. Jessica, you will have something to write about at the end of this tunnel when we return to normal. Stay safe and well in New York. Mimi, I hope life is safe for you in St. Pete. Thank you. I'm moving to the Adirondacks in New York State next week. Oh, my. Not permanently, just my summer, my family's summer home there. It's it's too hot here in Florida. I'm a New Englander. (laughs) I'm an Adirondack girl. Yeah, the the weather's beautiful up here, Mimi. (laughs) Well, thank you both very much. This has been very enjoyable and safe travels. And we look forward to meeting you on the Fringe again. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Lois. Jessica Botiford is director of Fringe Audio with the Atlanta Fringe Festival, along with actress Mimi Rice. There's more information on our website, wabe.org slash citylight. John Waters is the Pope of Trash. The self-described outsider is best known for films like Hairspray and Pink Flamingos. But the key to his creative process, as it turns out, is photography. That's why Waters was the special guest for Atlanta Celebrates Photography in 2017. I had the great pleasure of speaking with John Waters ahead of that event. We talked about a few different topics, beginning with photography as a tool for writing. Yes, I'm certainly no Ansel Adams. Um, I've never been in a, in, a, in a photography development lab in my life. You know, I use photography as a tool to write. Uh, it's very low tech. It's, 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 uh, many of the pictures are taken off the TV screen from old VHSs as they drive, and I take images and put them in different orders like storyboards to make those movies my own and re-edit them and tell a completely different narrative than the director or the writer may have uh, done in the first place. So I'm hopefully, I'm using photography for humor, to comment on the inside world of the art world and the movie business, all the things I love that I kind of make fun of. So it's really another form of filmmaking for you. 
Yes, I, my first show was called My Little Movies. And uh, yeah, I think you watch a movie and you see artwork, or maybe it's the other way around. But if you think of a film as 24 frames a second, so one of those 24 frames of any movie, any second of any movie is good. So if you really break it down, there's no such thing as a bad movie if you're looking at it the way I am as a photographer, not as a film director. That's a completely different world. And I don't mix them. I don't think them up in the same place. And my audience of the films sometimes doesn't even know I do the other thing. Well, how did you get into photography? Was it through editing the films? No, I've always been a collector of art that makes you angry at first. I always <laughs> said contemporary art hates you, and it should, and before you can hate it back. And uh, so I've been a collector for a long time. And uh, and so I think from collecting art and going to galleries all the time, uh, I was asked to find a still for an early movie. I, I didn't have that still. So I, I thought, how can I get it? So I just experimented and took the picture off the TV screen, and it worked. It was a different kind of graininess. It was a different kind of artiness. But I thought, wow, and that inspired me to take other moments of other films that I liked, scenes that would never be put out by the publicist of a movie. I would be the worst publicist in the world because I put out stills of movies that the audiences probably wouldn't want to see. And that led to me doing it and trying experiment and taking different pictures of, of one second of a film I loved. And, and th there was an art dealer named Colin Delan in, America, in uh, New York who had it, American Fine Arts, which was thought of as one of the most cutting-edge galleries. And I loved him, and I always went there. And he just asked me once, well, do you do anything in the art world? And I said, oh, I have these little pictures. And he said, what do you mean you have these little pictures? <laughs> so I had a big, you know, enough for a show, really. But And so I think that was another thing. I had worked for a long time without telling people about it and everything because I know celebrity is the only obscenity left in the art world today. How so? Because people in the art world loathe someone coming in from another another art field, and they feel it's a hobby. And, you know, that's the only time I've ever felt jilted by a reporter when they say, so, do you have any hobbies? I think, do I look like a dabbler? I don't have hobbies. I have careers. So, um, <laughs> I... <laughs> so, so uh, I understand that. Um, I hate most celebrity artists, too. I'd love to talk about um, Make Trouble, Right. It well, is. I try to make trouble in the art world, too. <laughs> you know, See? I've been trying to make trouble in a good way in almost every career that I have. And uh, make trouble started as a commencement speech I gave at RISD. And it went viral, which kind of surprised me. I thought it was a good speech, but it went over way better than I ever imagined. And then it became a book. And now it's a record also. So um, I, I don't know what else I can do but a can-can version of it, really. I don't, I don't know what other medium I can get into. If I could sing, I would do an opera. Would you talk about why a career in the arts is like a hitchhiking trip? Because the one thing young people have to get used to is that you're mostly going to get a no in the, in the arts. People you're going to ask for over and over. You're, you're going to ask people, will you back the movie? Will you buy this? Will you, do you like this? Will you write a review of it? And, and they're mostly going to say no. But hitchhiking is the same way. When you, it would be terrible if you stood out on the road and 50 cars pulled over. <laughs> you only need one car to stop. You need one person to back your movie. You need one person to buy your painting or your photograph. So um, I think you have to not fear rejection. And that's hard because show business is filled with people that are have low self-esteem because why would they go in a business that 
you know, relies on strangers telling you if you're good or not. Secure people are private. So does that mean you don't consider yourself secure now? No, I think I'm probably less secure than most people believe. I know how to play secure, but certainly my insecurities are there. I think when I, perfect example, when you're young, who, bad reviews don't hurt. You're just glad somebody notices. I built a career on negative press. But when you're older and you've been doing this for 50 years almost, a bad review can hurt more. You don't let on to that. But um, yeah, I think you get a little more thin-skinned as you get older. Well, one of the things I wanted to thank you for in Make Trouble was setting things straight about nostalgia for the 60s. Why was it not more fun in the 60s? Well, I had fun in the 60s, but I don't... When people my age say, oh, we had more fun in the 50, 60s, I think that means they're old. They don't know new music, they don't keep up, and they've retired from the world of creativity. So to me... If I was a young juvenile delinquent, I'd probably be a hacker living with my parents and shutting down the government with my computer right at this moment and chuckling and laughing with all my evil little hacker friends that have bad posture and don't have set no new fashions. Sunday's New York Times profiled the inaugural camp, John Waters, a sort of adult summer camp weekend for practitioners of counterculture and kitsch. Did you enjoy sleepaway camp as a kid yourself? In hindsight, I enjoyed it. I mean, don't ever send your kid to camp if you don't want them around sex, drugs. Uh, you learn everything. But, but you're 12, 13 years old. Everybody's raging their hormones. Uh, and I had a good time at camp. My memory, uh, at the same time, the sports parts I didn't like. That's why at the John Waters summer camp, I said the fat people get chosen first at dodgeball and the losing teams are celebrated. So, um, yes, I had a good my memories are good of it. I don't know how much I had fun being there every day. I mean, once the New York Times read a review of my movie and said that I printed a review of my movie and said I had faulty toilet training, well, <laughs> I I did. At my summer camp, we had a bowel movement chart that was no. in the middle of it, and everyone had to check it off every day. That is something's the matter with that. You know, so I did have faulty toilet training, but it led to Pink Flamingo. So I guess I can thank that bowel movement chart. Well, I think it's noble that the first adults chosen for dodgeball at Camp John Waters were those who were chosen last as kids. Well, I think so. And I think I think all the people that came to John Waters Camp were... I would say the average age was maybe 40. I would say maybe half gay, half straight. People were there on their honeymoons. People were there from Australia. People from all over the world. So it was kind of touching to me. What surprised you most about the inaugural camp? Well, I, I think that the general sweetness of the people and the fact that how much it meant, I meant to them, it was scary. You know, people started crying when they met me and stuff. It's like kind of really awkward. I feel like, I don't know, Oprah on a bummer or something. <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 the people were lovely. Well, John, it doesn't really come as that huge a surprise that people would feel this affection for you strangers because there's sweetness at 
the heart of a lot of your work. Thank you, and that's a great compliment because I, I do believe that, weirdly, I am politically correct. I mean, I don't think I'm mean-spirited ever, and that's why I think I've probably lasted as long as I have, is that my specialty has always been praising things that other people don't like. It's never been uh, saying bad things about people. And um, I, I think that... But it's so surprising to me that as I get older, the fans get younger. I mean, there were people there that pretty soon, I can say, that weren't even born when I made my last movie, much less my first. Filmmaker, photographer, author, and actor John Water spoke with me in 2017 when he was the featured guest for Atlanta Celebrates Photography. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. to hear about Atlanta Art Beats, a new destination for virtual arts offerings. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer. And I'm Lois Reitzis. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can subscribe to our new podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or just about any app. Stay safe. Wishing you well. And thanks for listening to 90.1. W-A-B-E, Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.